now the podcast starts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast where we talk about horror, sometimes we talk about other things, and sometimes we swear. I'm T.D. Velasquez, but you, as always, can call me Dan, and I'm on my own at the moment, but I'll soon be joined by the wonderful Kirsty Warrow and the wonderful Howard Whittock, uh, my fabulous co-hosts. But for a little while now, I just want to say I'm sorry because this episode came out late. It was supposed to come out last week, but on the other hand, it's now coming out this week, um, which is a week that we didn't plan to release an episode in. So in a way, it's a bonus episode, but that's a, a fairly pathetic way of begging your forgiveness for this delay, which was caused by a story too involved to go into involving equipment failure and recording deadlines, uh, not podcast recording deadlines, other kinds of deadlines. And it's all very stressful and think certain things had to be um, uh, had to be put on hold. However, we are back and here is the episode. It's the main item for tonight is going to be a discussion between Kirsty and myself. It's another questions of horror discussion. We've done those before. Um, this one was suggested by Kirsty. It's which horror films will you never watch or never watch again? However, before we go to the main topic of the episode, I want to uh, play something which is usually um, comes towards the end. Uh, I want to go to the bag of death with Howard Whittock. The reason I want to play this first is because it's the first ever bag of death that we've recorded over Zoom. And to be honest, the sound quality is not great. I hope you'll forgive us for that. I um, intend that if we do further Zoom bags of death, the sound quality will be much better. Um, Oh, and by the way, um, one of the upshots from last week's Equipment Nightmares was that I borrowed the microphone that I'm using right now from my friend Leah Marks. I've mentioned Leah on the podcast before. Uh, she was involved in the production of last year's Audible original horror drama called Sour Hall. Um, and she also has a fantastic podcast for anybody involved in uh, podcasting or, or voice acting or voiceover. It's called The Voiceover Social. Um, I'd recommend it to anyone um, looking to set themselves up in that uh, industry and I'll put a link in the show notes. But yeah, so possibly because of having borrowed Leah's uh, mic for this, the sound quality right now is better than you might be expecting um, and hope that it, well, let's be honest, it will provide scant consolation for the fact that the sound quality you're going to hear in a moment from the Zoom call with Howard is far from optimal. However, and I've just had to switch mics, so that's why this sounds different. However, the next segment with Kirsty will have much better sound quality. So we're going to go to the bag of death section first so that if you really can't handle the zoom sound quality on that, you can easily skip ahead to the Kirsty segment. I'll put all of the time codes 
in the show notes to make that easier for you. So, because it's just me, because we don't have really any news to talk about, I'll go straight to the main items, but I will be back on my own at the end to give recommendations for this episode as usual. Okay, enjoy. Howard is here and we're doing the bag of death because we often have before, but this is the first time we've ever done the bag of death over the Zoom. How are you doing, Howard? Yeah, well, yes. Um, for a lifelong technophobe like me, this is quite an extraordinary. This, this is a great moment in my life. This is a scientific achievement comparable with the invention of the wheel or man landing on the moon or uh, the discovery of penicillin or that sort of it's, it's It's a major moment in history and I'm terribly excited about it. I'm glad that you mentioned that, Howard. It's great. It is, um, yeah. What would we do without penicillin or Zoom? Those things are often compared. Yes, yes. Uh, probably penicillin is uh, more my favourite. <laughs> Fair enough. But what this means is that not only can we speak to each other, Howard, I can actually see you for the first time on this podcast. Yes, I can see you. We haven't seen each other about 16 months. I know, it's incredible, and it's it's a wonderful sight to, to behold you on. Indeed, very strange times. But of course, not only can you see me, Howard, but also for the first time since we've started recording these, you can see in all its magnificence the actual bag of death. And I hope... I hope you are thoroughly impressed. Oh, I'm With extremely this. impressed. Oh, that's a lovely shade of purple. <laughs> Magical bag of death. I'd like a shirt that colour. <laughs> well, I'd agree, I'd agree. It's more kind of burgundy. Okay, so... Well, yeah, thinking... yeah, I can't actually see it very well because it's, it's nice. No, I would like a, I'd like a shirt that colour, maybe socks. Right, well, that's... Well, there it's we are. Very so... exciting. The images we're conjuring in the listener's mind right now. Okay, <laughs> so I shall plunge my hand into the bag of death and we'll oh, see right, what comes good, out. Yes. Lunge. Okay. So, and rummage. Okay, oh. I have something in my hand, a piece of paper, and it is the Blair Witch Project. Oh, now, that's interesting. Yes. I didn't even know that was in there. Yeah. Um, the Blair Witch Project. Yes, I remember seeing it when it first came out in 1999. And I think I was still at university when that happened. And I, I actually went to see it when all the Ferrari had kind of died down a bit because it was so, there was so much publicity about it and so much everybody was talking about it. And I thought, I'll wait till it kind of like, size down a bit so I can be a bit more sort of objective about it so uh yeah no I do remember going to see it yes yeah I, I have um strong memories of seeing it at the cinema I've already told the story on this podcast about yes, how that, yeah. uh, about uh, how me and some friends went to see it and I was terrified by it certain members of the audience were not too impressed it was certainly a controversial well, film when it came out in, in the terms of, you know, expectations were built up so hugely, so quickly. And then 
a lot of people went to see it and found that it wasn't their idea of a big movie. Well, I have to say, I love it. I, I think it's a great horror film. Um, and I've seen it several times since. So it was weird because going to see it, um, when it finished, it's the only time that I've actually walked out of the cinema with everybody and it's been absolute silence, been quiet. Nobody was saying anything. I think everybody got kind of drained. I think I heard one person say, well, this one man say, uh, God, I need a drink as he was going out. And so did I. I needed one as well. But um, I went to see it. Yeah. Um, after all, there was, because there was a kind of expectation about it and it had been built up so much. Uh, so I wanted to live, yeah. Um, and I did, I did enjoy it. Yes, I did. I did like it. Yeah. It was very interesting uh, because it was the first of that kind of what we found footage films, wasn't it? And it was also the first film to be kind of marketed on the internet as well, which was kind of in its early stages then. And that's why it's sort of like, and I'm sure there were some people who did think it was all real. Um, although it's obvious from the beginning it's not, but um, yeah. Um, I don't think it's necessarily obvious. I think if you went into it believing that it was a real, you know, the, the cover story that the film tells you at the start, that, you know, some students went into the woods and went missing and this is the footage that was recovered, you might initially think, oh, I'm watching a documentary. But then you, as you start to notice, maybe some little lapses in acting and things like that. Well, that's it. I think I did notice. I think just sometimes... You can see people acting, you know, uh, yeah. or kind of like improvising that sort of way. So I think I could, I could sort of. I mean, when I went to see it, I knew, I knew it was, I knew it was all okay. Um, yeah. But I, but I did really like it, and uh, I did think it was. And what, what struck me about scary about it wasn't so much all the Blair Witch stuff. It was these three young people going to the woods and they can't handle it. They haven't got their mobile phones, everything like that, and they can't handle being outside in the inside. There's a really bit of deliverance a bit when people go out uh, um, into the um, aisles, into the countryside, into the, and uh, they're, they're completely yeah. out of their comfort zone and they don't know how to deal with it. And they start to get uh, all kind of like tense and sort of argumentative and, and they all start to fall out and sort of, um, that to me was kind of that to me was um, because I think films always work better if they got some kind of subtext to them or, or they're saying something. And I think Lewitch is saying something about kind of modern society that people have now become so urbanized uh, and they're so dependent upon technology that um, they've kind of removed from the like the natural world and they can't when they go back into that world, they don't really sort of um, they can't deal with it. They're, they're, completely sort of out, outside of what of their own experience and sort of like um so i thought that was kind of like really effective sort of thing that's sort of how how um that idea that they they can't handle just being those words i know scary things happen to them when they walk around in circles and everything but i just think that was like a really clever idea that of of these these young people they think they're so smart and they're so savvy and they're so sophisticated making this film but when they actually get out there into the woods they just can't deal with it uh, and that's the kind of thing about Blair Witch I really like. Yeah, it is really effective. I mean, Heather has some dialogue where she says something like, you know, we're a modern developed country. You can't walk for this long without running into somewhere. You know, that there isn't, yeah. we've mapped this whole country 
there isn't so much wilderness anymore, surely. And um, it, it, the film is kind of about that uh, that sense of taking our urban environment for granted and not really being able to deal with being outside it and, and thinking there is nothing outside it almost, um, thinking that's all there is. Yeah. Um, and I have to say, yeah, I really like the film as well. You know, Kirsty and Stella and I did list it among our scariest movies. I think all three of us did. And I've watched Oh, I think it, it is. I think it is. It is one of the scariest films I've seen. It is a scary film. And every time you... It's still scary. It still, still works. Yeah, but not uh, in the kind of jump scare, set piece horror kind oh, of no, way. Oh, no, no. It's, but it's in that kind of... No, no. It's, in in, it's in that, that kind of... Unease. Yeah. And that gradual, that Nigel Neal-esque, gradually building sense of dread, you know, that, yes, that, that really builds to a pitch. Grows and grows. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are there are one or two things that I kind of think, oh, that's a slightly a bit uh, doesn't quite work. Like when he throws the map away. So it doesn't um, Michael yeah. throw the map away? And they, I thought, well, I don't think he'd actually do. I don't think you'd do that. I think that's kind of a bit of a contrivance just to to get them all more sort of arguing with each other. Yes, but, to uh, escalate but I think tension. It's a, I know it seems to be it seems to be quite divisive now. Some people don't like the Blair Witch project. They 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 think it was overhyped and there was too much about it. And but I think it um I just think it as, as a film, if you if you ignore the hype, if you put all that hype away and all that publicity and all that fuck and just watch it as a film, I think it's a really, really brilliant really film, horror film, thriller. Because it does uh, um, make you feel kind of unease and this kind of disquiet, and this it, it is gets more and more disturbing, and that's what a horror film do. It creates this sense of this kind of honest feeling. What's going to happen to them, you know? And and that final image, at the end, but you know what happened. Yeah. Uh, that really, that's kind of shock. I mean, I I felt drained when I when I just watched it in the cinema. I felt drained. I felt wow, kind of like worn out by what had happened. And I don't usually feel that with horror films. You just like, but um, yeah, I think it really works. And I think it's a better film than kind of people just think of it as a kind of like horror film, found footage film. But I think it's a, it's, it's a, I don't want to say it's a better film than the people make it thought it was. I think it, it works really well, and it's just as relevant now as uh, it was then. I think I'm, I think I'm babbling uh, actually now. No, I, I think everything you're saying is um, salient, and and I think it, in a way it's um, it is uh, insulated against becoming dated because even when it came out, it was already supposed to be, you know, five year old footage that had been discovered. Yes, yeah, um, it's a period piece, um, and it's it's shot using the cameras of the time, I think, and. Um, I do think it's it's a really impressive achievement, and I'd love to watch it again. Um, I think, listener, I'll, I'll correct myself if I'm wrong on this. By the time this part of the podcast is released, but I think it is available to watch for free on the BBC iPlayer. Certainly, it was quite recently, and, and I think they put it up there for a long time. Um, I'll, I'll put an update about that in the show notes. But if you haven't seen it, um, do watch it. Um, I'd love to yeah, watch it again. Yeah, definitely watch it. Yeah. What? What? I, what? Um, the, 
the two guys who made it, what what did they do afterwards? I, I don't seem to know what they did after um, they did Blair Witch Project. Did they make anything else? I don't think they made another film together. I think one of them has made a few movies that have, have not had a huge impact, but apparently are very good. Um, I think it's Dan Myrick, one of the directors. The two directors yeah. were Eduardo Sanchez and Dan Myrick. And I think Myrick, they, they both kind of became more producers and produced a few TV and film projects. But I think Dan Myrick has actually directed a couple of movies which didn't really have a huge impact, but um, no, apparently are quite good. Um, and I can't say what they were, unfortunately, uh, off the top of my <laughs> I'll head. I'll have to Google them later. But again, I'll, I'll do some research well, on it's that quite, and put it in the show notes. It's quite courageous because they actually gave these three actors all the cameras and everything, kind of told them to get somewhere. And that would have been a complete disaster. If, they, if somebody had given me a camera and said film something, it would have been catastrophic. I wouldn't have done anything <laughs> Um, I think that was a really kind of like quite, quite a brave thing to do to give the three actors the cameras, but it worked brilliantly. I mean, it really did work brilliantly, and you really got the sense that they were there on their own and there was no film crew around. I think well, there was no film crew around, you know, that you do know that they were alone, there was no crew, it was yeah. just them filming it all. And the two guys' noises or whatever stuff outside their tent. But um, there's that sense of it's, it's actually happening. You know, sort of, they are kind of improvising. They, they don't know what's going to happen. They don't yeah. really know. They sort of are told, I suppose, what's going to happen. Well, they were only told day by, the, by day. Apparently, they didn't know at all what the overall shape of the story was. Um, and I think it is an incredibly impressive feat of organisation just to do that, yeah. but do it in such a way that you know you're going to end up with a movie. Because even though they were spending very little money, they were still spending money in the in the order of thousands yeah. of dollars. Um, you know, and it, it could have been horribly wrong. It could have. It worked out really well. You get the sense that these three actors are actually genuinely. Sort of, um, sort of getting pissed off with each other and getting in with each other, and the arguments kind of feel a bit sort of real as they're spending all this time together and all these things are happening. You can't get, you get that tension, and you feel that tension between these actual genuine. And they became no. millionaires. All the actors became millionaires for this film because uh, they were all on a percentage of the uh, office. Well. Frankly, I am very glad to hear that. I, I think they deserve it. And I also know that none of them have gone on to have acting careers. So, you know, um, I hope that what they're doing. I think um, one of, Heather Donahue might have gone into property or something. No, she, she obviously came out with I a lot of money. Grew marijuana. I thought she had a me grew medical marijuana. Medicinal oh, no, that's marijuana right. That's right. Yeah, I, I'd heard that. Um, and the other two actors her. were Joshua Leonard and Michael Williams. Um, when it when the movie came out, I was used to say Michael Williams, not to be confused with Judy Dench's husband, who had no. just died. But now, uh, nowadays, if you say Michael they're Williams, very, they're not very similar. He's Michael no. Williams. But um, but now you have to say not to be confused with Michael Williams from The Wire, who is Michael C. Williams. Oh, and is that for that Michael reason. C. Williams? Oh, right. 
Yeah, um, or is it Michael K. Williams? I'm, I, I, I'm getting confused. But um, I think he played Omar in The Wire, and it's pretty great. Um, but Michael Williams from the Blair Witch Project has disappeared, and I hope he's living um, comfortably somewhere, um, yeah, having a nice um, life. Because they be doing some TV or something. Um, I, I, I don't think any of them are in the TV or film business, or at least not in front of the camera. Oh. But, um, oh, right. oh. Uh, but you know, they've they contributed something with that will last and that has a massive cultural impact. And we'll be talking oh, about absolutely, them. Yeah. We'll be talking about them forever. I think, I think it's um, a great. I think it's a great and important and influential horror film. And yeah. see, what happened was it, it was a film that depended upon the, the ones gory that kind of did rely on suggestion and shadows and things like that what, what's actually happening a few years later um we had saw and hostile and all those sorts of like torture porn stuff where you know the screen's filled with blood and guts and everything yeah and i kind of thought well they didn't go the blair witch path of doing something kind of uh, um a bit more a bit more strained. Uh, a few years later, horror cinema kind of went into all sorts of blood and blood stuff, and and uh, which is my sort of thing. Well, it, really. it, it's always going through phases, isn't it? Horror, and it also is very, very difficult to pull off that kind of suggestion-based horror. You know, not everybody is Val Luton, and um, actually, no. the the number of great movies that that do that there aren't actually that many of them although they are my favorites of the genre really and i'm thinking about movies like the haunting the innocence halloween yes know, the haunting um, yeah and, and all the val luton movies but but i think can can be like that um howard i think we've we've talked for 20 minutes or so about the blair witch yeah. project just before we wrap up can i ask you <laughs> have you seen either of the sequels no, no, I am. I don't think going. I don't think you can do a sequel. I don't know how you can do a sequel to the Blair Witch Project because the ending is so kind of perfect. But and the film itself is so kind of perfect. There's nothing you can add to it. You you can't extend that story. It's just kind of perfect as it is. I think you might so be right. I, I haven't. No, I I probably watch the adam wingard one but i hear that neither of them are great um i do think a better sequel to the movie does exist which is although it's not really a continuation of the story it's like a parallel um support piece which is the tv documentary that sanchez and myrick made called the curse of the blair witch which is really good i have seen that yeah I've that's seen that. that's fantastic isn't it, it just it's like yeah it's yeah, a wonderful companion right. piece and then if you look at the, um, uh, the the supporting book, which was released called, I think, The Blair Witch Project, a dossier that, um, yeah. you know, really fills in the kind of mythological background of the serial killer, Rustin Parr and Coffin Rock and all that. And it, it doesn't really take the narrative any further, but it just adds more kind of disquieting details to the, to the mythology around it. And um, yes. That's usually recommended. I've no idea if it's still in print or not. Um, you know, but it was it was great. Yeah. It came out at the same yeah. time as the movie. 
Well, there we go then, Howard. That's the Bag of Death on the Blair Witch Project. Is there anything else you'd like to say yes. about that film? No, I just want to say... <laughs> <laughs> no, I just want to say... time on Zoom. So if I was a bit sort of um, uncertain, or I started sort of <laughs> bumbling on, it's because I'm not quite used to this sort of technology. Uh, because I've got these headphones on. So, um, yeah, no. So, Blair's Project is a terrific film. If you haven't seen it, you should watch it. I think it's a modern classic. I think it's up there. I think it's up there with Halloween and things like that and Rosemary's Baby and stuff and all those kind of several kind of horror films. I think it's a great film. Uh, and it will certainly uh, unsettle you and uh, disturb you, everything. And uh, it is a favourite of mine. In fact, I might watch it. I might watch it tonight because I haven't seen it for a while. So... That's what I've got to say about Blair Witch Project. On Zoom! Nice one. And what I don't think there could be a more appropriate movie to talk about on our first Zoom than a movie which depended on an innovative use of the internet to make its impact. Well, that's The Bag of Death, the first ever Bag of Death on Zoom, and what a pleasure it was. We'll be back next time with another randomly drawn film from the bag. Bye-bye, Howard. Bye bye, bye bye everybody. Bye bye, Stu. So, Kirsty, hello. Hello. <laughs> this was your wonderful idea. This conversation. It, yeah, I, I felt the need for a cathartic conversation about horror that bothers me. <laughs> right. Well, oh, that's superb. Well, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I think um, I'm sure we've both got a number of films in mind uh, that we've either seen and never want to see again or, or just yep. won't go near and I'm sure we've both made little lists and I feel like the listener is probably going to conclude that my list is basically going to indicate that I'm a wuss <laughs> that's why but, I, yeah. I won't go near certain films but, but isn't that isn't that the tension though that kind of particularly as a horror fan that it's I've certainly felt pressure in the past to sort of not declare the films that I won't see because there's, you know, that kind of aura of being like, you know, kind of a hardened horror. Oh, I, I can take it. I could take it. Um, whereas actually, you know, I think all of us have sort of not guilty pleasures, but the inverse of guilty pleasures, films yeah. that we just won't. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. Um, I mean, I, I in a way... I would probably sum up my attitude to it as, do I feel like I could enjoy this? And a lot mm. of the time, you know, um, it, it, you know, and, and the film might be a great work of art or it might be incredibly significant or well-made, but if you're not going to enjoy it, um, then, well, uh, a few of my um, examples will probably uh attest to that so well let's let's get into our list my list isn't very long uh and i'm thinking that other movies may may suggest themselves as we go there's yeah. possibly films that i purposely blocked out of my mind <laughs> so that i don't even have to consider watching them um but i i have a few um would you like to go first or shall i um i, I well i I'm, I'm I'm happy to go first. I had when I was thinking about this. I the first the first film on my list is actually the first in the franchise. Which I've seen the first in the franchise, then I've now not watched any of the others on the basis of the first film. Right. Um, shock horror, shock horror. Uh, that film is Saw. 
Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So, and, and here, here's why. And I was thinking about this earlier about well, what is it that about? But I mean, I, I I saw I saw saw. You saw saw. That was <laughs> saw, one, saw. one of the reasons it took me a long time to watch that. Them was just I I hated the tagline so yeah, much. Yeah. Dare you see saw? Yeah. I just yeah. thought that's the most moronic thing I've ever. <laughs> Possibly so I, only yeah. in this country, but you know. I don't. Um, I don't think I saw it in the cinema. I think I saw it probably on home release, sort of. Fairly soon when it came out, but um, and I enjoyed it as as a kind of as a thriller. The reveal at the end I thought was really clever. Um, but what I found really difficult to deal with is, um, and again, this is what I've been thinking about today: is the suspense of you know these kind of vignettes of these different kind of victims in these horrible kind of murder contraptions. Sure. Um, and just kind of knowing that they're going to die in a horrible way and, in, you know, in a very creative way <laughs> or in very creative ways, um, knowing that's going to happen and just sort of existing in that cinematic space, waiting with them, mm. I found really tough. And it is, I think it is that difference between shock and suspense. And I was thinking about the, that Saw for me is comparable with something like Seven, and, uh, right. you know, long-time listeners to the podcast will know that I'm a big David Lynch fan, and I love Seven. But the reason, you know, they're kind of, in terms of death and kind of, you know, um, creative deaths, yeah. they're fairly comparable. But the difference with Seven is that, for the most part, is you discover the bodies and the murders after the fact. Yeah. So there's an initial kind of shock of, <gasps> you know, this horrible thing has happened to them, but that person is already dead. They're already out of their misery. Mm. Um, and, you know, so you, there's a sort of different, different response. Whereas, you know, existing with people, characters whilst they're alive, waiting for their death. Yes. Yeah. 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 Oh, I found that really hard. <laughs> Empathizing with that level of suffering is, um, yeah. It's funny. It, um, you've triggered a thought that I remember that when seven, was first on our TV in the UK, which is when I was at Sixth Form College. Um, lots of us watched it. I'd never seen it before. I thought it was amazing. But a load of my friends, uh, who I will not name, because some of them <laughs> I'm still friends with, bless them, um, were all talking about how the ideas were great, but they didn't like the fact that you didn't see anything or, or it was all kind of off screen. Um, and I did. Think, so do, 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 do you want to see him, you know, doing, well, I'm not going to say anything because yeah. it could be a spoiler, but um, do you, you know, the, the, some of the, the imagery in it, that not in the film itself, but that it, it um, induces in your head. Yeah. Is, is extraordinary um, and nasty and stays mm. with you. Um, and would it have made the film better if they put that stuff on the screen? No. Um, I don't, well, I don't think so. It's, yeah, it's no, I, I don't think so either. And, and yeah. you know what? I mean, maybe there's a load of people who would say that it, it, it does, <laughs> or at least um, there is an appeal to that stuff, which is why there are seven or eight Saw films. Um, but like you, I've only seen the first one. In fact, it is not on my list, but I did think about it because yeah. I, I did. Enjoy, I, I, I think my attitude to the first one is just the same as you. I enjoyed it. It's a thriller. Uh, it's also kind of like a little, so low budget. It's like a little play, really. You know, most of it's just two people in a room, isn't it? Mm. Um, and I can imagine it 
Uh, I think Lee Wannell, who wrote it and also plays one of the main characters, didn't write any of the sequels. And I think you can, it feels like it's, it's a guy going, I'm an actor, but nobody will put me in their play. I'm going to write something <laughs> for myself. So he does this this little thing. And then yeah. it really works. Also, it's Carrie Elwes, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Who we love of old. Yeah, of course. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, it it is kind of like the the kind of low budget. If the, if there hadn't been Saw Two at all, then you would kind of recommend it to people who like Seven. Is like it's like Seven, but it's the low budget, dirty, less artistic alternative. But you know, <laughs> if you if you really want to watch something along those lines, and you don't have your DVD of Seven available, by the way, um, I I. Seven was possibly the first film I ever bought on DVD, and I looked in my collection uh, just yesterday, um, thinking about if we're ever going to talk about it. And I only, yeah. I only now realise that it's not in my collection anymore. I oh, think no. someone borrowed it, or I lent it to someone many years ago, and it's just never returned. Oh, so uh, yes. But anyway, we talked a lot about Seven, not so much about Saw. <laughs> yeah, but, but I just. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely empathise for your reasons for kind of avoiding the rest of the franchise on that one. Yeah, yeah, and I, I'm, and I'm sure. I mean, I know it has a, you know, a kind of fan base as most kind of franchises do. Um, and I'm not unsympathetic to the what I what I perceive particularly with my job is it it's just placed in this, you know, kind of. Um, type of contemporary horror, although it's obviously it's aging now. Um, that you know kind of people getting into horror <laughs> teenagers in particular use sure. it as a way of you know kind of testing themselves against the genre um and I'm kind of fine with all of that it's just not a thing that I realize I particularly like and I was thinking about you know as you were talking about the um with seven uh, that in many ways my kind of love for Hannibal Hannibal also kind of stems from that because with Hannibal particularly in the first couple of seasons you know a lot of the murders are again in the off-screen space mm-hmm. and they are revealed um so there's not for the most part and there are exceptions to this but for the most part we're not with people as suffering as with as they're dying mm-hmm. um and and so I'm so I'm much happier to kind of go with death the spectacle when it's you know uh it's yeah, the aftermath <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 and um, it's not that i don't find that horrific it's just differently horrific you know it's it's because it's less personal i suppose so well, and i think it's less this is personal taste i suppose but i think it's less torturous to the viewer yeah you know because it's a it's it's inviting the viewer to imagine these horrific things and to be disturbed in their own way yeah. Whereas when you put the actual act on the screen, it's like you're trapping the viewer in their seat uh, and like Clockwork Orange style, kind of forcing them to look, pinning their yeah. eyes open and forcing them to look at this stuff. And it's kind of an act of torture in itself. Yes. Um, so that, therefore that contributes to my sense that this is not really entertainment yeah. um, as far as I'm concerned. Okay. Yeah. So that's your first one. Um, well, yeah. That bring, brings, brings me to my first one. Well, my, um, well there's, a, there's a nice link here. Um, so the first one I've written down for films that I've seen but would never see again is also the first film in a franchise, and I didn't watch any of the later ones. And I think it's a film that is very closely connected to Saw, both in terms of when it was released and the, the kind of 
way it sits within the genre. Um, it is Eli Roth's Hostel. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I literally just removed that one from my list because I thought I'm not going to talk about Hustle because it's similar ground, but you know. Right. <laughs> uh, as, as you were the other, I was like, he's going to say Hustle. Okay, yeah. so what, yeah. why? Why? In, why? <laughs> um, well, um, it's, I mean, I remember the, the, the time when Hostel came out very well, and it was when I had just started working full time uh for the first time since university so after about six years of working either part-time or not working being a student i i suddenly only had my weekends uh as free time and and for some reason the first weekend i had i decided to go to the cinema twice and the movies i saw were basic instinct two (laughs) (laughs) which was which was a hoot and um and um uh, and Hostel, which I knew nothing about. I, I was just going to the cinema with my good friend Finbar, who's still my friend. And he said, Should we see this film? And I said, Sure. I had no, I, I, all I knew was that it was a horror film and that Tarantino was involved in, in the production. Um, you know, Eli Roth was not a known quantity at the time. So I watched the first half of Hostel going, I have no idea where this is going. <laughs> Absolutely no idea. And it's just like these. American backpackers in Europe get kind of wander around, and it could almost be like a frat comedy, as you know, as they kind of uh, caper with prostitutes and mm-hmm. and, and have kind of uh, weird run-ins with Europeans and and stuff. So by halfway through, I was still going, Where, "Where's this going? What's the horror? What's the horror?" And then the horror happened. Mm-hmm. And then they all start to get tortured and continue to be tortured for the entire rest of the film. Um, and there's some images in it, like one involving an eyeball that still stuck with me. Uh, you know, I've never watched the film again. I, I did find it good in the sense that I thought there was something psychologically disturbing about it. It wasn't just the gruesome torture it was the fact that it kind of invited you into the mindset of the people doing the torturing a bit mm. and the the idea that it was like um, a corporate venture that people would pay money to be able to torture americans that's the uh, you know i found that <laughs> yeah that's funny as well um, it's funny. <laughs> uh, there's a great bit in it that, um like one of the non non-horror bits where um someone going into the building while the torch happens and and you see another one of the customers, the would-be torturers, waiting outside. And it's actually Takashi Meike, the Japanese director. And as as the character walks past Meike, Meike says, be careful. And the guy stops and says, why? And he goes, you could spend all your money in there. (laughs) Uh, you know, so you know, I did. There, there's loads of quality to it. It also has a um, a sex scene in it, which is scored to a, a cover version of Willow's song from The Wicker Man. Uh, you know, the, the bit with Britt Eklund dancing. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you know, obviously that got me on side, but it also it set me up for um, the. Uh, 
the shock because I, because in a way the fact that they used that song hinted to me that the film was going to go in a sort of folk horror or magical direction, mm. which it so didn't. Um, no. And, but yeah, so uh, and I was I was gripped for the rest of it, and even though it was really unpleasant and everything, I cared about people and, and stuff. But I would never watch it again. I mean, there's the 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 the, the bits of it that were fun and that are, like the the scene that I've just described, it's it's fun in my mind. But mm. I, I don't feel the need to watch that scene again. It's like imprinted there. Um, and it leads me on to the first on my list of films that I never want to watch, which is Hostel Part Two. <laughs> I, I don't want to see that kind of stuff happen to a bunch of girls. Um, Heather Matarazzo, uh, and a, I don't think I'm familiar with the other actresses in it, but mm. um, and I, I, I don't want to see that, and I don't want to see whatever the hell happens in Part Three, which I don't even know, um, but. <laughs> Um, I, I'm not a huge fan of what we're moving into here is the subgenre of torture porn. Yeah. And, you know, I, uh, I do respect that if you do that stuff well, it's, uh, it's an effective piece of horror. It requires really good acting. You're not going to be emotionally affected by someone pretending to have their thigh drilled if they're not very good at it. You know, mm -hmm. um, it's so it's not just a case of makeup effects. It, it requires uh, skillful directing and, and acting and things like that. But mm. that's for exactly the same reasons with you and Saw. That's just not my idea of fun. <laughs> um, no. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and oh. horror, horror films don't always have to be fun. Um, and maybe as we go further down the list, yeah, no, absolutely, we'll reveal the fact that there's other ways in which films can be not fun for me. Yes, um, but but still enriching and worthwhile. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, uh, in fact, um, there are films that I think probably could be very very artistically worthwhile, um, but there are also kind of grueling and horrific in ways that I'm not yes. sure I could take so it's more like I'd like to be able to watch them I'd like to say I have watched them but yeah um uh but I haven't and I probably won't because I have not <laughs> you know can um, I use the segue into discussion of, of another film on my list of I have seen but won't watch again but but purely because I think what you just said about it being kind of artistic and worthy and also grueling, mm -hmm. um, uh, it sums it up perfectly, which is Lars von Trier's Antichrist. Right. Well, right. That would be probably on my list of films next. Yeah, I did wonder as you were yeah. describing it. I thought, are we? Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I did see, I did see Antichrist. I was actually lent the DVD by one Monsieur Rob Savage. Okay. Um, who had it, uh, I think he bought it pretty as soon as it came out and was available. Mm. Um, so I borrowed it off him. Um, and um, I made with Sven and I watched it. And Sven had no idea right at all. Right. We got to the end of that and he just looked at me and we went, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, dear. So, I mean, with Antipas, what, it, it, I mean, it was, there were so many things about it that I just, 
I I lo- I love so like uh, Lars von Trier, particularly like with something like Antichrist and also Melancholia. He has this beautiful kind of aesthetic sense. He does grand, you know, um, you know, kind of operatic, kind of devastating stuff really well. There are there are a few kind of sequences in Antichrist. Um, one involving a decomposing fox in particular which sticks to my mind which are just you know kind of its death and its nature and its beauty and it's and it's horrific and it's compelling um and it's wonderful um that said <laughs> that right. said um you know it's it, it the 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 kind of not to, to kind of give away too many spoilers, but there are some you know no, notorious moments in that film involving uh, sexual violence um, mm. towards the end. But it starts off as a uh, you know kind of a tragedy, the death of a child. Um, uh, and I realise this is one of my buttons, and I'm going to talk about this later. Is 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 any any death or harm that comes to children that is through is a result of neglect rather than kind of supernatural? I, I really struggle with that. So that's sure. that's Antichrist's starting point, um, and then it's about a couple sort of struggling to deal with that, you know, mm-hmm. that grief, um, and it's a really taut, well acted, um, compelling kind of psychodrama for the most part um and it then just you know I, I i think where it for me it, it kind of slightly loses its way unfortunately is in the third act where it just takes a really really hard left turn into horror um yeah in a way that yeah mm-hmm. it's, just, it's memorable for everybody who's seen the film <laughs> yeah i mean i've got half an idea of what you're talking about and that's most of the reason i've not watched it but yeah. i mean so are you saying that most of the really horrible stuff happens towards the end? Um, in a way, that would that would tempt me to watch the film at least maybe the first half so I get a sense of it. See, I, I, from, from my recollection, again, it's not one I've watched again, but from my recollection, I remember thinking, you know what, that last act isn't as horrific as I was expecting it to be. Okay. Um, it It plays much more into... I think, kind of safe genre kind of conventions at that point. What's much more horrific is is just the first two acts. The the way that the, the death of the child is handled and shot is in its own way shocking. Um, and then the kind of, you know, the the kind of performances of both Willem Dafoe, you know, he's always good for your money, isn't he? Um, and Charlotte Ginsburg as well. They're both really, really compelling. Yeah, they're um, an incredible pair of actors. They are. They are. Movie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, and so that kind of their, the way that their relationship kind of um, spirals in the second act is really, really compelling and, and horrific because it's, you know, kind of two people trying to deal with this really horrible loss. Um, and, you know, and there are, you know, again, as we're saying, there kind of there are quite a lot of, you know, there's, you know, suggestions of the neglect or not suggestions, kind of outright, you know, kind of moments of child abuse and neglect in it, um, which is really, really tricky. So actually, I think the things that people were talking about Antichrist were being a problem um, or were, were problematic for them, which is the, you know, is largely located in the third act. Mm. Not, at, I didn't find that horrific in in the way that people talked about it. Right. The horror for me was is earlier on in the film. Okay, so that's why I can't watch it again. 
All right, well, that's fair enough. Um, and it does make the point which connects to some of the things I'm going to mention in a bit that something really, a really horrific moment uh, is just a moment in the film, isn't it? Um, it but what makes it uh, uh, burn through your consciousness is the context around it and, that, uh, and what yeah. you feel about the, the people involved and what you know about what's led up to it and things so you can have the same moments of violence in two different films in two completely different contexts and what in one film it's funny and in yeah. the other film it's it's heart-wrenching or, or, or yeah. unbearable you know so uh yes i think you've touched on a movie that well Firstly, it's a movie that makes me feel old because Antichrist in my head is still a new film, but it's like yeah. 11 years old, isn't it? <laughs> um, and yeah, maybe I I still kind of feel maybe I'm getting around to it, but I can't imagine. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know, maybe uh, maybe I'd have a have a go at at least the first half and and see how that goes. So um, yeah, okay. Can I can I use it again again sort of slightly steady the, the conversation? But you know, yeah, you, you, you talked about that being a film that you decided have decided this this thus far not to see. Mm. Are there any kind of strategies that you have for kind of trying to figure out which films you will or won't won't see or you know kind of mechanisms um, <laughs> to deal with it? Um, that's interesting. Um, well, not not so much these days because you just deal with it. I, I suppose as an adult, when I was uh, younger, you, you know, I would definitely um, kind of uh, investigate the movie to try and just literally avoid the bit that I, mm. I'd heard about, or, or I turn the color off, or something like that. Um, there's a movie that has recently been sort of recommended to me, although with a fairly major caveat, is Justin Kersel's Australian crime thriller drama called Snowtown. Um, and basically I've been told that there's like a scene in it that's so horrifying that you'll have to stop and go do something else for few days before you watch the end of the film yeah um and but also my friend who said that to me said uh but i did it and it's worth it it's a good film so okay. it's, kind of, it's kind of like uh saying it will mess with you but if you've got the metal you can take it and it's worth it um, like a challenge to to one's yeah. fortitude um and I, I'm kind of vaguely intrigued to see it as a sort of test to myself i don't really know what the content is yeah um okay yeah so it but there are certain things it, um like mountaineers say the, the reason to climb a mountain is because it's there yeah sometimes the only reason to see these films is also the reason why you don't want to see them you yeah just kind no of, i agree i you, agree you feel like it's <laughs> mocking you it's kind of sitting there <laughs> And again, particularly as a horror fan, because you have that, you know, whether it's external or internal, that pressure to kind of go, oh, well, if I like this genre, <laughs> I must therefore be prepared to, to deal with all of it in all of its colours and shades. Yes. Um, and I think one thing I've, I've sort of, <laughs> you were saying earlier about, you know, you know, when, when you were growing up, you just deal with it. I, I, I have, have massive coping strategies. Okay, so please tell me yours. <laughs> so okay. I, um, 
because again so I, you know i tend to be fairly aware of you know kind of new films as they come out and and particularly aware of kind of crit- critical and, and, and kind of popular review of them and the way that people start talking about them um and you know and i'll see kind of images probably parts of traders and kind of look at it and kind of go oh that's it's intriguing but it seems a bit dark i would like I, I, you know again earlier listeners of the podcast be aware of that i you know kind of i didn't see midsummer for quite a long time mm-hmm. um and i only watched it because i knew we were going to talk about it um and i <laughs> you know and so i kind of i looked at it and i there was part of me that just thought oh it's so bright and colorful and I know that all of that horror is going to be in the daylight and I'm not sure that I can cope, particularly as a pagan. Mm. I'm not sure I'm prepared to go down this road. But it looked so beautiful. The images that I saw and the kind of gifts that I saw of the, of the film, they looked so beautiful. I thought, OK, this it's intriguing. I kind, I kind of want to see it, but I'm kind of a bit scared of it. And I hadn't um, seen her- Hereditary. So, I again, I knew Ariaster's kind of aura his you know his mm. kind of um reputation as as somebody who does really dark shit <laughs> right so so there was that kind of bubbling around as well and then what so what i tend to do is i kind of spend a lot of time sort of reading and thinking kind of going oh okay and i'll you know and then, like it might i need a really long run up sometimes so it might take me two or three years maybe longer than that i don't know like the Serbian film, for example, that's on the list of I'm, I'm I'm never going to see that film. And I know that, but I've kind of gone through the process of this and got to the point where I've just gone, no, I'm not doing this as a thing. But the other thing yeah. that I do is I will. And this is like my, on my final approach <laughs> is right. I will find the synopsis of the whole film. OK, well, yeah, that's good. You 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 therefore kill the context, don't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. You, so you're I, pre-prepared so I, yeah. for everything. Yeah. Um, and sight and sound used to be really good for doing these, kind of just really detailed synopsis of the, of the film. Um, so, so I read through that and I kind of go, right, OK, now I know what the film contains, can I deal with it? Yeah, yeah. And so with the Serbian film, the answer was, no, right. I will not. No. So, um, yeah, um, I yeah. noticed that you and Stella were talking about the Serbian film on, on yes. Facebook. And um, uh, it's called A Serbian Film, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Or the um, Serbian, I don't know, yeah. I, 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 I'm not film. watching it. <laughs> I, I only heard of it through hearing people talk about it on the Evolution of Horror podcast. And yeah. it's, it's already a few years old by then. And, and I was like completely unaware of it. Um I've not heard too much more about it, but it's it concerns like snuff filmmaking, doesn't it? And um, just like no, I think no. Um, yeah, yeah, no, no. But I think crucially for me, that like it's not it's not that per se that I I object to. Mm. It's the that plus children, right? Okay, and I'm just you know what I'm out, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out. I don't need I don't need that in my life. And I right. and I I realized again thinking about my kind of responses. Um, my justifications for why I feel that way I just I really struggle with why somebody would want to make a film like that and then I realise that now I sound like all of the grown-ups in my life growing up as a horror fan yeah 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 Um, (laughs) I'm not blaming you well I think it it goes to show that we all have um, a level um um, I'm reminded of the phrase hedonic treadmill, which is kind of the, uh, I think it, it refers to kind of the psychological mechanism that 
uh, allows you to feel things uh, to things to become acceptable to you, so you can deal with either yeah. horrendous things or you can get used to things uh, that are maybe extraordinary. So the, the the shorthand example is so that every time you get on a plane, you're not going, "Oh my God, we're in the air, we're in the air!" all the time. Um, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, and we are, I, I will describe myself charitably as weird and freakish and um, interested in dark and disturbing and things that other people would find completely um, not interesting and bizarre and off-putting. Um, but also I've got my own level beyond mm. which there are certain things that I find off-putting and weird, and I will look askance at the people who have made that, even though I know from my experience that, like, the horror filmmakers and writers that I know are just, in general, lovely. Um, yeah. And, and they're, <laughs> you know, they're, they're exercising their own inner darkness in a very creative way, a very yeah. healthy way, by, by using it creatively in storytelling or filmmaking or whatever. Mm. But uh, maybe we've all got kind of a level beyond which we will not go um yeah so. yeah and I, I, you know kind of the my, my mind is definitely called the serbian film right <laughs> i mean I to say. like it's I, the one film out of all like out of all horror that i'm aware of like i'd even like i've not seen human centipede either um and it's not that i wouldn't it's just it doesn't the idea of it doesn't appeal to me at all it's not that like no I'm cut you know it just it doesn't appeal whereas Serbian film just makes me go no right. no. <laughs> no fair enough I'd like to say that you know my objection is not that it concerns snuff movies and things like that I mean you know another movie that that uses that uh, in a fictional context is Mute Witness, Anthony Waller's 1994 thriller, which is, uh, as I remember, I've not seen it for a couple of decades, but I thought it was terrific fun. Um, mm. But uh, I don't really want to be made to feel like I'm in a snuff film myself, which I think mm. is probably what will happen to me if I empathise with the characters in a Serbian film. I mean, yeah. I've heard people describe a Serbian film as the most horrendous film they've ever seen the most disturbing um and yeah there's uh, um i don't really want to be disturbed in that way so no um no i mean i even just me reading the synopsis which is as far as i got made me go yeah no right <laughs> just you know that was enough just reading the description was enough for me just right. you know in fact i wish i wish i could purge the memory of oh. the words that i read oh my breath. <laughs> blimey blimey yeah. that's extraordinary um, <laughs> I'll, I'll just say though uh, to sweeten the palate a bit the the fact that you um, chose one of your coping strategies is to read the sight and sound synopsis um cozily reminded myself as a teenager and wannabe filmmaker knowing that i should be familiar with the movies of tarantino but yeah. not really having the guts to watch them. So I went one better than reading the synopsis. I bought and read the entire scripts of <laughs> Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, so I knew exactly what was coming. And then I watched the movies. Um, and, you know, the, uh, the guy then doesn't hardly show the violence on the screen for most of no. those films. No. Like he's mocking me. Yeah. <laughs> But that's the thing, isn't it? In terms of coping strategies and kind of things that, that we can do to try and 
help ourselves deal with whatever trauma we feel we're going to cinematically let ourselves in for that that actually doing all of that oftentimes results in you watching a film and kind of going oh okay was that it yeah yeah that's (laughs) true and that you know in many ways yeah, okay, it obviously defangs the experience that, that you can have if you just approach it without any knowledge. But um, if it's a way of us, you know, kind of um, negotiating and widening our, our kind of our viewing in a way that feels safe and manageable for us, then then fair, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, I, I think sometimes um, having foreknowledge of the events in the story can make your enjoyment all, all the greater, um, which is why you, we watch movies based on books we've read. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, I, I think um, I kind of tend to avoid spoilers, but at the same time, uh, sometimes you won't, you know, you might not intend to watch a movie, but you've got friends who have seen it and think it's great and tell you everything in it and you decide mm. well i kind of know everything in it now but i sort yeah. of also want to watch it so you do and and that's that's you know that's got its own appeal um, and that's why i forgive my friend brendan for telling me in great detail the entire content of the movie unbreakable and then next week turning up at my house with the vhs and saying should we watch it it's like well why but um, practically reenacted it for me it was great <laughs> it's like having the live unbreakable one-man show in my house yeah so now i, I have a, a kind of a, an anecdote it's not horror related or well, kind of is horror related but from my childhood about kind of um the consequences of being forewarned um and the way in which some some people the person in, 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 in this anecdote is my younger sister, Vicky. Hi, Vicky. Um, oh, Vicky, hi, Vicky's Vicky. always a sensitive, sensitive soul. And even to this day, she refuses to watch anything that she feels is going to make her cry. She just doesn't. Um, anyway, as we were children, <laughs> again, this is going to age me, um, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves came out of the cinema. Super. Um, and there was much discussion at school about this film and some people have seen it and, and other people had, hadn't and anyway, Vicky found out that I, and again I, apologies if I'm wrong but it's been many years since I've seen the film I think one of the characters gets their hand chopped off uh, yeah and also I think it might be yeah. the se- there's a character who gets his eyes put out as well and, and okay uh, yeah no it was, definitely, it was definitely the hand yeah. thing well, I think so it she- might have been the, t- the same character though uh, yeah but you don't see the eye thing. But I remember no, being like no. I, w- I was ten or whatever, and I remember being really disturbed by that yeah. when I saw it. So, so somebody at school with, had, had revealed that this thing happened, this bit of violence happened, and it was you know it was this salacious thing that you know people who who'd seen the film was like, oh my god, it's terrible. And so in our family, there's lots of discussions of it. And Vicky, my sister, had gone, oh no, no, I'm not seeing that, I'm not seeing that. And but the first point at which she said that she's not seeing it, she doesn't want to see it discussion about it happened in the car when my uh, my dad had decided to surprise us okay <laughs> the trip to the cinema oh, we didn't no. know Right. So we were having this discussion in the car. She said she didn't want to see it because of this bit of violence. And then we got to the cinema and my dad said, We're going to see this film. And she had to be dragged into the cinema, oh. kicking and screaming and crying. Oh, um, so that's a memory. <laughs> oh dear. Um 
I suppose that That's moment, uh, that moment of of your of your young sister's sheer yeah. terror and and resistance was probably more harrowing than anything in the film. Oh yeah, fact. and it's but, ab- absolutely felt formative for her because now she absolutely exercises total control over what she will and will not watch, and she will not right. be swayed if she has decided that she's not seeing something. She won't be swayed. Even right. if we go, oh, it's really good, and you're really enjoying it. It's really no, no, no. So, yeah. Shout out to Vicky. More power to her. <laughs> yeah, good for her. Know your boundaries. Uh, yes, and exercise your power. Great. <laughs> um, uh, you mentioned a film a little while ago, or rather, a franchise that I've totally avoided, and I was going to mention. It's on my list, so mm. now is the time to mention it. Yeah, it's the Human Centipede. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like, yeah, why? <laughs> yeah, just, you know. Yeah, I'm sort of. I almost want to watch them uh, just to find out what the hell it yeah. is. But, uh, because it seems to me that the only concept is scientist sews people together in a anus to mouth fashion. And I don't know what. And that's that seems to be the selling point. I don't even know how that yeah. film got funded. You know what I mean? Well, um, yeah, um, I'm with you. I think for me, it's it's. I mean, I'm not. I've not seen any. I mean, how many are there? Two, three. Uh, there's at least three. There's at least three. Okay, I've not seen any. Um, for me, there are kind of particular types of body horror that I just, you know, I, I'm again. It's not the fact that I I feel like it's too much. It's just I'm not interested. I'm just not at all interested. But what intrigues me. But not not to the point where I'd go and see it. Um, is um, the whole controversy around the second one, where the was it BBFC basically went? We don't even know what to do with this one. <laughs> <laughs> can't even give it a certificate. We can't suggest cuts to it in order to make it a particular, um, you know, a particular rating. It just we just can't. Um, which I find 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 fascinating. But that's the one that's it's. Isn't it? It gets meta. It's about somebody yeah, who the film and then he's trying to recreate it. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, which I yeah. love meta horror. So there's part of me that's intrigued by that. But uh, again, I'm not so intrigued by it and its controversy to make me want to go, actually, I'll sit down and watch this for fun on a Friday night whilst I'm, I don't know, eating crisps and drinking beer. It's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, um... no. Uh, Kim Newman does mention it briefly in his book Nightmare Movies. Yeah. And he basically says, look, I know it sounds like it's the most horrendous, horrific film ever because of the central concept. And yeah. nobody wants to see that. But if you actually do sit down and watch it, it's like watching like a, a cheapo melodrama from the 40s about a mad scientist who does something stupid for no reason at all. So I'm thinking, right, so it's like Bella Lugosi's The Ape Man or something. <laughs> so it's, basically, it's probably really boring Yeah, uh, with a couple of random bits in it. Um, having said that, I will say that um, one of the main actors in, I think, all three movies, or the first two at least, is Lawrence R. Harvey, who was in that um audio version of the wicker man that we okay. listened to last year and, and talked to anthony mann who directed yeah. it um based on that he's really good um <laughs> so you know um it's not that there isn't some talent involved but course, um, yeah, i know I'm not, I'm not 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 blaming anybody i'm just mm-hmm. i think it, it's that you know that difference of just going you know 
like with the Serbian film, that's that's I know it's going to be beyond my line, so I'm just not watching it. Whereas with the Human Centipede, I just don't feel there's enough in it to make me want to go and see it. So it's not it's it's not on my no list. It's just it's on my it's not even there. It's just there. <laughs> It just yeah. exists in the world and and you know I I ignore, I choose to ignore it for most the most part, except for conversations like this or when I'm talking mm. to my students about, you know, kind of horror and how horror is constantly trying to, you know, push the boundaries of what's acceptable and you know, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, obviously it has a place in that kind of context. Um and uh, and it would be foolhardy to ignore it. Um mm. But at the same time, I'm just happy not having seen it. And and I'm not saying I'll never watch it, but some really good goddamn reason has got to materialise, yeah. such as Tom Six coming on this podcast. Well, yes, I mean, I, I think <laughs> we, would, we would have no choice, right? <laughs> so, so maybe we're going to lay down the gauntlet. gauntlet. Tom, if you want us to watch this, your films, <laughs> agree to be interviewed. And yes. and then I get us to ask you why. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's all we ask, Tom. All we ask. Nice one. Um, we are um, going to regret it if, if, if that comes to fruition. Yeah, well, you know, maybe we're making a Pharisee impact right now. We'll just yeah. see. Um, I quite like the excitement of that. You, you never know. So um, we've only got a few minutes left. So, you know, yeah. mention a couple more movies. Um, sure. Um, I think with uh, Antichrist, we were verging on on this kind of territory. Another movie, which um, I don't think I'll, I'll ever see, um, and obviously I've never seen, uh, is uh, Gaspar Noé's Irreversible. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> That's on my list of I have seen, but won't watch again. Right. Okay. Sorry. Okay. I mean, and, and that's on the, the, the side of it sounds really good as a work of art. You know, um, it, it, it's about a, a rape and it, it apparently it depicts it in a hugely powerful way that makes you really upset, which it should. Yes. Um, so therefore, it sounds like it's a, it's a very effective work of art. Oh, no, However, yeah, you know, uh, I think I can take it on trust that <laughs> that it would be a horrible experience. I'm not going to put myself through it. Um, no, it is. Yeah. It's it's a phenomenal piece of work. Right. Can't even. It's so powerful, um, and it's so well executed. And I I, I remember when I when I first saw it I think I think my sister recommended it to me I'd not heard of it and I'd not heard of no way either so I'd got no context for it at all um the, the kind of opening scene you know kind of the film starts with this like tremendous amount of violence um the kind of you know reckon violence that, <laughs> that kind of level right. um and and he moves the camera around in a you know kind of really kind of creative way almost sort of swinging it from a I say creative way. It's very Fritz Lang Metropolis, swinging it from James. Okay, nice. Um, and you know, it's kind of frenzied and really, really powerful and 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 brutal. And you don't quite understand why. What? Why is this attack happening? Why is this man being attacked? And then, of course, because of the chronology, you kind of get to the point where you realise why. And that he, you know, kind of spends so much time kind of moving the camera around and dodging action that you kind of you kind of get used to that as a mode of delivery, or at least I did. And then when he 
for 11 minutes. And that's mm. how long it is, I think. Mm. doesn't cut away. Right. And just let this rate play out and fall. It's just, I mean, there are obviously discussions, and, and rightfully so, about, you know, the way in which um, suffering of women is used to motivate action of men and how, you know, rape is a, a way of, you know, kind of bestowing kind of, you know, trauma to women on screen mm. um, in a way that is is problematic. I mean, like, and I totally get all of that. Absolutely. Uh, and I think I'm good for, for irreversible, but it's such a powerful kind of depiction of that. An yeah. unflinching depiction. Um, and yes, there is the misogyny of okay, here's a male filmmaker using this as a you know kind of conceit for his film. Uh, but it's you know it's, it's not one to watch with the significant other. <laughs> not a date movie. Um, no, no, I mean, definitely not a date movie. Having not seen it, obviously, I would have I would assume that it's more. It sounds like a deconstruction, really, of that trope of of using rape in that way and that's one of the is that yeah you agree i mean with that? i mean possibly again it's because i've seen it once and i don't need to right. see it again i don't so i've not spent an awful lot of time thinking about whether you know mm. the kind of critique of it um i'm sure that there are people who have done that who have come up with you know some very eloquent and astute points about what it says about rape and the way in which rape is used as as spectacle and as trauma for women and as motivating action or way of motivating male action mm. um, in, in kind of popular culture. Um, I, I'm not there to kind of put any pronouncement on it of the, this point because, I've, again, I've only seen it once, but what I can say is it was a very affecting and very powerful mm. kind of cinematic experience and the, just the kind of formal decision of kind of going, okay, earlier in the film we're going to, you know, have lots of mobility and lots of cutting um, versus just, you know, not cutting and just holding was really, yeah. really powerful. Um, yeah. And actually that leads me to, again, not, not a, a film that I've not, it's not on my no list, but a film that I am uh, somewhere on the run up to in terms of my process okay. is um, Jennifer Kent's um, The Nightingale. Right. Her follow up to The Babadook. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I love The Babadook. I think it's it's great. Um, but The Nightingale is a, you know, it's a revenge movie about rape. Um, right. And I remember, again, the the reviews when it, I think it, I think it was Toronto that it premiered might be wrong on that one but it was certainly kind of a big film festival and you know kind of people will say you know that critics are walking out of it because they, it was just right the depiction of rape they felt was too much and you know okay i get that but it's surely it's different when it's in the hands of a female filmmaker female writer yeah not maybe necessarily being used in that exploitative way but i don't i don't know again i've not seen it i'm on my run-up yes <laughs> I've, yeah. I've read the synopsis <laughs> so, so the next the next stage is watching it when i feel like i'm equipped to do so i mean that's one i would like to see although i didn't until you've talked about it now i didn't know that it was about it was a rape revenge movie i just mm. remember hearing that people were very very disturbed by it and it was controversial but obviously mm -hmm. i also love the babadook and i would like to see it um but uh, uh at some point i, I hopefully will yeah Maybe i think it's on, i think it's on netflix i think which has been certainly i've, I've noticed it and then kind of gone yeah not yet not yet <laughs> 
Yeah, um, there's Not time and know. place for, for these yeah. things. I'm um, just going back to Irreversible. It actually, I don't know if it came out or it was just being shown at the university cinema, but it was screened while we were at university. And I, yeah. didn't, I didn't go to watch it, but a couple of my housemates did. Yeah. Not not really knowing what it was. And I just yeah. remember how shattered they looked when they came home. And that's also contributed yeah. to me just going, right, I'm not going no. to hear that. No. I was correct not to go to the pictures today. Um, yeah. So. And, and consequently, interesting, I've not gone near any of these other films either. Um, I've particularly avoided Climax because, again, I've read the synopsis and I know that there's, you know, kind of, some that, some children involved and I just you okay. know because climax is the kind of dance based one isn't yeah. it yeah uh, and, it, and I mean you know for a kind of in, interesting potential kind of companion piece to something like Suspiria I think yeah. okay well that, that would be really could be really interesting but I'm just not and again it, it's from no big spoilers but from what I've read about this from the synopsis the you know the kind of child you know kind of harm again it rises out of um uh, abuse neglect right and that's uh, just uh, as a parent and i think that it's got you know it was bad before but it's just worse now i've got my own children i just i can't can't deal with and again that's one of the reasons why it's definitely hard on my no list but not as hard as <laughs> the uh, serbian film is um darren aronofsky's mother okay right but which which has got lots of lots of kind of elements that normally i'd go yeah I'm in for that one, but I'm um, no. <laughs> is is that also a child neglect situation? Um, well, I'm not sure if it is specifically, but there's definitely kind of harm to infants. Right. Okay, I didn't know that. I have mm. had that movie recommended to me, and I think I've yeah. got it recorded, so I was planning to watch it at some point. But well, I'd be when interested you... to know what you think of it when you were. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh Good. gosh! I mean, I Aronofsky. Uh, I still haven't even seen Black Swan. So really, <laughs> kind of quite behind the times. I'm looking forward to watching that eventually. It yeah. just looks bonkers. Um, it I is just, bonkers. It's great. I just want to. <laughs> I'm conscious that we're running out of time. I'm yeah, just going to sure. give a quick mention to another movie that I've. I I feel like I should watch it, but I never have. Um, and it's it's just a stomach thing. It's, it's like irreversible. It's not really a horror movie. It's on the art spectrum, but it's uh, Louis Bunuel and Salvador Dali's, uh, and I don't even know how to pronounce this. Unchair Andalou. Oh, thank you, thank you. Just because no, I, I have to teach it. I have to teach it. It's right. I'm not allowed to not teach it. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, so it's one I every year have the pleasure of introducing um, right. to that craziness. <laughs> right. A group of bemused 17-year-olds. They just look at it and go, what the fuck is this? <laughs> wow. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, I, I, I feel a bit gypped that as a sixth former media student, I didn't get made to watch that. We did oh, no, the, to... the, the, Darling, darling, the sixth form film student. It's a very different well, <laughs> Well, okay. I mean, I was a film student too, but, it's, yeah, but I'm yeah. sure in the media class they showed us things like meshes of the afternoon. You know. Oh the... yeah, yeah. And I, I also I love meshes. Um, mm. so I, I take the opportunity to uh, I run up to kind of and Chantelou show them meshes because I think my Darren does a much more effective job at what than what I was trying to do with right. and Chantelou. Ah, uh, well, that will explain why I've never watched it. Then I feel much better now. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I Matches is a superior film. Right. Okay. So we kind of ended up, yeah, in, in, in Ponty Corner of the podcast. Yes. <laughs> so there we go. But um, yeah, for, for horror listeners, for horror fans listening who aren't familiar with Huncher and Andalou, it's not a horror film, it's a short uh, art piece from the 40s, I think. Nine, uh, no, 1929. Is it that early? Yeah, yeah it is 1929. And if, uh, yeah. And has the famous montage uh, image of a, of a woman having a, her eye sliced open, but they actually use footage of uh, a, the cow's eye being sliced open, I yeah. think. Yeah, and yeah. it's just kind of done with intercutting. But again, I just don't want to see that. And it just, just the thought of it just makes me go, <laughs> but, it, but uh, the reason I think I might get around to watching it is because I feel like possibly I should hit because of its historical importance. And also it's, it's short, isn't it? Yes, like, and then if you if you like that one, then follow it up with um, uh, Benoit's next film, which was uh, Last Door, um, which is uh, an hour plus of uh, similar bonkersness, um, which as a Catholic, uh, you're going to have particular resonance with, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> okay, well, that's interesting. Right, okay, well, that, you know, I can see this being a fun evening, so maybe I'll schedule <laughs> that for myself. I'll do a double bill sometime yeah. soon. I'll get some wine and some crackers. <laughs> right, okay. And then do, you know, surrealist double, double. Uh, uh, <laughs> my left brain is saying to me, Dad, you're being set up. But, um, <laughs> but it's fine. I'll, I'll just walk into that. Um, yeah. Nice one. Well, uh, I think we that brings us to the end of our time, Kirsty. Unless yeah. there's any other honourable mentions you just want to throw no, in. No, not an honourable mention, but one other thing that occurred to me. So, you know, as, as, again, regular listeners will know that, that Stella in particular, but also I, uh, I'm kind of fan of true crime. And yeah. I, I do love a bit of true crime, but again, it comes if it's anything to do with children. Uh, and if we have sure. if there's true crime that involves actual footage of the events happening, I really, really struggle. So I know there's um, uh, a, a kind of a um, documentary on Netflix uh, fairly recently called, uh, um, I'm just going to get it up now, uh, something about an American family, about a guy who kills his wife and his kids. Right. I don't know. And I, like I said, I, I, I watched the first two minutes and just went, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. And then um, I can't remember the one that Stella was talking about in particular, but there's that kind of famous American cult, Kool Aid people. Oh, yeah, the Jonestown. The, yes, massacre. yeah, yeah, yeah. With yeah, because this footage of that isn't there. She was, I saying, think she so, was saying, yeah. she was describing it, and I just thought, I can never do this. I can be aware of it. I can know it had happened, but I, I can never see or hear. This footage of you know of, again it's and it's it's because of the kids and mm. just uh, no so yeah. I'm fine with true crime as long as adults adults are the victims that's fine I can deal with that but children no 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 right yeah, so right. that's my honourable mention <laughs> I I understand that completely yeah. and uh, yeah I'm just just reading about Jonestown is horrific enough yeah um gosh um well I got through everything on my list so yes. um. You too. <laughs> that was a fascinating discussion. I think we should have a part two to this discussion where we find out Ian and Stella's um, yeah. parameters. Let's say they should, they should do a two-header as well, just those two. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I shall. Uh, I shall motivate them towards yes. this. <laughs> um, thank you so much, Kirsty. That's been oh, fascinating. No, thank you. Chat. It's been lovely. 
Um, listener, hope you've enjoyed that. And, you know, please get in touch if you think we're weird or uh, we're, we're <laughs> or feeble. <was> his? <laughs> yes. Um, or if you've got any different suggestions of things that you won't watch for, for whatever reason, because it, it's a really interesting kind of psychological area. We've all got boundaries as film fans and horror fans. And um, it, it's like a Venn diagram, isn't it? We, we kind of all cross over somewhere, but we all yeah. have big, big areas, big circles of our own. Um, so, well, all right. Thank you so much, Kirsty. And we'll, Thank we'll, you. Until next time. Well, hello, everybody. I'm all on my own again to just bring you the recommendations at the end of this episode. Hope you enjoyed the previous sections. We'll be doing more of both of those at some point soon, as we discussed. Ian and Stella will also be discussing that question, today's question, and coming up with the answers regarding the movies that they will never watch or never watch again. And also, Howard will be back soon with more uh, Bags of Death. So, this week's recommendation, then. I was going to dip into the um, the Shudder back catalogue once again this week, as I did in the previous episode, and just go through the many things on Shudder that I would recommend. Um, I could have done that, there are a load more. However, something else caught my eye this week. It's two short documentary stroke video essays that are on YouTube, on the YouTube channel called Dark Corners Reviews, which is a channel after my own heart. It's mainly devoted to reviewing horror B-movies, I suppose, um, and classic horror. So you get consideration of universal horror, silent horror, hammer horror, and also a, a good deal of kind of 80s and 90s straight-to-video schlock horror as well, which is not too much my department, but those videos do tend to be quite funny. Um, and occasionally you find yourself tempted to seek out a movie you'd never heard of before, so just for a laugh. like. But this month, or the last few weeks, they've done a couple of videos which um, struck me close to the heart, actually. Um, one of my uh, formative influences in, in getting into horror was the movie Cat People from 1942. Um, producer Val Luton's uh, kind of werewolf movie or, or take or reaction to the werewolf movie as typified by 1941's The Wolfman, which was a universal film. And given a low budget and a mandate to produce something similar, instead of coming out with a kind of cardboard gothic rip-off, he created this contemporary set, film noir-influenced tragic love story, which is Cat People. Uh, I, I first saw it when I was about 11. I later read Kim Newman's BFI Film Classics book about it. And I became a huge fan of uh, not just that film, but the whole cycle of movies that were produced around the same time by the same producer, Val Luton. Um, So Dark Corners reviews have just produced two 
uh, documentaries. The first one is called Val Luton's Cat People Beyond the Shadows and it's a half hour appraisal of the movie. It's really well worth watching and had things in it both in terms of insight and behind the scenes knowledge that I didn't know even though I'm very familiar with the film. And then more recently uh, they've done a great 40 minute documentary about the whole cycle of Val Luton movies. Now this guy if you don't know produced nine films in this style for RKO pictures in the 40s. Um, and they're all remarkable and interesting. I've seen all of them. I think I've seen six of them. But I, I like all of them. Um, I'm kind of annoyed with myself that I have never got around to the remaining three. Um, but the cool thing is that if you look at these documentaries and you like the look of them, then three of those movies are available for free um, streaming-wise in the UK on BBC iPlayer. So, Camp People from 1942, the first of the cycle. I Walked with a Zombie, its immediate follow-up. And The Curse of the Camp People um, from 1944, which is the sequel to Camp People, but which is a very different film um, for all kinds of reasons which are uh, outlined in great detail in the Dark Corners video. It's basically, um, it's not a, a, a tragic horror romance um, like the original film it's a kind of lyrical movie about childhood but it it is menacing and it is beautiful and I've just re-watched it actually and it's really well worth watching and it has a remarkable although most of the actors the key actors from Cat People um, who survived the movie do return in The Curse of the Cat People the movie is really um, owned by the the young actress who is the kind of main character um, and she's fantastic she's like maybe eight um, and it, it's a really affecting performance uh, yeah so those are there to watch uh, I recommend the movies and I recommend the Dark Corners reviews and I'll put links to all of those in the show notes um, so those are my recommendations for this week um, the only other thing to say is, yes, our release schedule has been very erratic lately. It's going to continue to be so, I'm afraid. I hope that we'll get another episode out before Christmas, but um, no guarantees, I'm afraid. We'll do what we can, though. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much. If you're a long-time listener who's stuck with us, um, thank you so much if you are trying that for the first time. Um, please do go back and listen to some of our other episodes as well. In terms of today's discussion of horror films you never want to watch or that you did see but would never dare to watch again, you know, please tweet us. Uh, we're at and now podcast, um, Or please email us at ambisoulslimited at gmail.com That's A-M-B-O-L-S-L-T-D at gmail.com um, with your own thoughts, because we can feed them into further discussions. That's it from me for this episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, we'll be back soon. I hope you're enjoying uh, the lead-up to Christmas, and you're not one of the people who've been very adversely affected 
by the the storms of late as indeed our own Ian has been he was out of power in his house for a couple of days I think but luckily all is well now all right thanks everybody and well you'll be hearing from us soon okay bye now you have been listening to and now the podcast starts produced and released by ambidextrous solutions limited presented by Kirsty Warrow, Howard Whittock, and T.D. Velasquez. Special thanks to Greg Hume for our original theme music and to Brian Gorman for our original artwork. All dialogue and music clips from films, TV shows, and trailers are used for the purposes of criticism in the spirit of fair dealing as defined in UK law and fair use as defined in US law. No copyright infringement is intended. Please visit our home on the web www.andnowpodcast.com for more content and contact details or visit our Facebook pages at andnowpod or at leecushingpod follow us on Twitter at andnowpodcast or at leecushingpodcast if you'd like to donate to us please visit patreon.com forward slash andnowpodcast And now the podcast stops.